Our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 42 to 44. You can follow along in your pew Bible. You can read along on the screen or listen for God's word to you today. At daybreak, Jesus departed and went into a deserted place, and the crowds were looking for him. And when they reached him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he continued proclaiming the message in the synagogues of Judea. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it is, it is really so great to be with you today on this kickoff Sunday um, and to see those of you who are here in person, uh, many of you back again after a while away. I welcome you, and it's, so, it's great to see you. I was talking to someone uh, who are newer, some folks newer in the church, and they have come during COVID, and they never saw the church even this filled before, so it's great to see you today. Um, I want to say hi to you who are at home watching on Facebook Live. Those on YouTube, we're really glad you're tuning in and watching. And for those who will listen to this uh, sermon later on our sermon podcast, which you can uh, subscribe to if you want. Okay. Um, this fall, we're starting a new sermon series together where we will be hearing from the core message that Jesus had in his teaching ministry. This is the topic that he talked about most, and it's what he says was his purpose, was the reason that he came into the world. Jesus says this, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Our new series is about the kingdom of God and what it looks like, how we can experience it, how do we live as kingdom people, how do we embrace this kingdom that Jesus comes to share, show, and begin you might remember the story of um, Albert Einstein and Charlie Chaplin. Um, they met each other apparently later in life, um, and apparently uh, Einstein said to Charlie Chaplin, what I admire most about your art is its universality. You do not say a word, and yet the world understands you. And Charlie Chaplin returned the compliment by saying, it's true, but your fame is even greater. The world admires you when nobody understands you. Someone explained some Einstein stuff later on. I, I appreciate it, but unlikely. Uh, my hope in this sermon series and kind of week by week in our preaching is that as we talk about the kingdom of God, we'd have something to say. We'd have something to say. That's the message. And then also that we would say it in a way that you can hear it, that you can receive it, that you can engage with it in a real way. That's, that's the approach that we want to take week by week. So the first thing to know about the kingdom of God or the reign of God or about the way that God's power is present or in control is that it's a paradox. It's a paradox of already and not yet. Already and not Turn to someone next to you, just say already and not yet. Already and not yet. Say it. Now you'll really know it. See, that's like flash frying it into your brain. Um, the kingdom of God is already here because Jesus has come. He proclaims it. He inaugurates it. He animates the kingdom of God. He, he personifies it and shows us that God has come near to us. But then it's also true that the kingdom of God, the reign of God, is not yet fully here. I mean, just look outside at the world we live in right now. Listen to the news. What have we been through for the last year and a half? We know that it's not yet fully realized. So the first point is that the kingdom of God is a paradox of already and not yet. Um, when we know about this, in New England, where my family used to live, every March, the calendar would say, spring has come. 
already. Wow, great. But then you'd go outside, and there was snow on the ground, chill in the air. You'd put on a winter coat, and you'd say, it is not yet warm. It is not yet spring-like. Uh, it's not yet nice. It's a paradox. We understand these kinds of things. This past year and a half or so in our country, there have been increasing uh, numbers of conversations about racial justice, right? Racial justice. And there's been this essential paradox there. Number one, we already have laws that protect our citizens and make everyone equal. And it is not yet the case that all of our citizens feel protected and equal. Both of those things are true. It's already and not yet. And you might have found yourself on one side of that conversation or the other, but both are essentially true. We have those laws. We have already have our ideal. It's in our national self-understanding, but we have not yet fully realized it as a nation. And so that's why we work to make it so. Living in the tension between the already and not yet of the kingdom is something that kingdom people like you and me are called to do. We are called to live in the tension. This is my first challenge to you as we move into the fall season ahead, to live in the tension of the already and not yet. As a church, we are already back together in faith, right? We worship together. We have youth group on Sunday nights. We have small groups starting. We're doing mission projects. We have fellowship but then we're also not yet back together, not fully, because COVID continues to ruin all our plans. COVID continues to operate as a reality in our world. And so the challenge that we face is how to faithfully live in the tension, the essential tension between the already and the not yet. How do we live our lives of faith in times like these? I love the way that Jesus in the Bible, he models for us um, what this looks like in his own life and experience. Here in Luke chapter 4, before the part that we read, Jesus goes to the synagogue and he opens a scroll and he reads from the prophet Isaiah. You probably remember this part. This is what it says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and let the oppressed go free to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor. And then he tells them, this scripture has been fulfilled today in your hearing. Already fulfilled. That's Jesus' purpose. But then very quickly after that section in Luke chapter 4, the same uh, chapter we're looking at, a series of things happen that come up in the midst of it all. He's speaking in the synagogue, and a demon-possessed man comes in and starts shouting at him in the middle of the congregation. Can you imagine if Jack Longley did that? <laughs> and so he goes and exercises the demon. I love you, my friend. Um, he exercises and sends that demon out. Then he goes... I rebuke you <laughs> with love. Then he goes from there to his friend Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. That's like a really extended sentence. And when he gets there, he's thinking, ah, now I'll really just have a chance to refresh myself for my purpose. But then he finds out that Simon Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She has a fever. And so it, it uses the same word. It says he rebukes the fever. He clears her of that high fever, makes her well. 
Then that same day, while the sun is setting, this whole crowd of people with all kinds of ailments and issues and problems and needs, they come looking for him. Some of them are demon-possessed. It's like a scene out of an apocalyptic movie at dusk, you know? They're all kind of coming like this, like something out of the thriller video. And um, he spent all night that night, that night, healing and helping and dealing with the needs of those people. So then, in our passage today, we're still in Luke chapter 4, we see that Jesus leaves at daybreak to a deserted place. We can imagine him trying to go and get some rest, get a break, or fill himself up again. But even there, the people follow him, and he says, I must go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to all the people, but they try and prevent him and keep him there with them. I want to suggest what we're seeing in the life of Jesus in this sort of long, confusing narrative is that uh, Jesus is living in the tension between the already and the not yet. He has named his purpose. He has set his intention. He has written on his vision board all the plans for his, his quarter or his year or his life, however you do it. He has said out loud, this is what I'm going to do. And yet, at every turn in the life of Jesus, life happens. Stuff comes up. People have needs. Plans change. It doesn't look the way he thought it would. Does this sound familiar to you? Have we been living in times like this? So Jesus is living in that tension between his high and holy calling to proclaim the kingdom of God and then the ways that this actually works or looks in his life. And we are looking to Christ, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, to help us as we seek to live our own lives of faith in that same tension. This, this summer, uh, Pastor Erica and I were in a book group with a group of pastors, a small group of pastors, and we read a book by Craig Barnes, who is the president of Princeton Seminary, and the book is called The Pastor as Minor Poet. And in this book, um, this is what he says. He says, calling begins with identity, not task. The doing has to flow out of the being, because if we aren't clear about who we are, we'll never know what to do with our lives. I like that idea. Calling begins with identity, who we are, not task, what we do. So for Jesus, the doing, the working of his ministry, the living of his purpose, all of it flows out of who he is, who he was in his most inmost being, his intimate and close relationship with God the Father. We notice throughout the gospel the way that Jesus continuously seeks time with God, because that refueling, recharging, refilling that happens is what allows him to live his life of faith, what allows him to live his purpose, what allows him to do all the stuff he's got to do. And on this kickoff Sunday, I proclaim to you, it's the same for us. As a church, we have a calling to proclaim and share the good news about the kingdom of God. And there's all sorts of ways that we're going to do that. But the paradox is that we cannot live out this calling. We as a church, even up on the chancel, we can't live out this calling we have if we don't let God be the one who forms, informs, and transforms our lives to be the one at the center. In fact, the more we want to do out in the world, the more God has to do in us. The more you want to do out in the world in your workplace, or at school, or among your neighbors, or with your family, the more you want to do for your future, for the good of others, for the good of yourself, all of that needs to have a God at, who is at work underneath it, a God who speaks to you, who fills you, who meets you, 
who loves you, who forgives you. When you have that God at work in you, it empowers you into the world around you. So I want to brag for a minute. Is that okay? Brag. Uh, we have an awesome session of our church. Those are the elders of our church, leaders of our church. We have a great group. This weekend, we had a two-day retreat, and on Friday night, we were in uh, the backyard of my house having fellowship time. Here they are. And, um, and then yesterday, we spent the day here on the church campus, and we were out in the courtyard just praying and talking and sharing the vision that we have for our church as we move into this year ahead for the particular time that we're in, the challenges we face, the gifts that we have. And one of our exercises that we did was that we, uh, we had leaders share about um, the values that we have for how we serve. How are we going to work together? How are we going to do it? What, where are we coming from as we, as we lead our church? And um, we wanted the work that we do to really flow out of who we are, what we care about, the way we, way we, um, we were made. And so I think that this work will affect the whole church, right? The, the character and characteristics of those leaders will affect all of you. So I want to share just some of those that were named in that time, just the names, the, the things that came up when we did this exercise. This is from kind of crowdsourcing our elders. What they said, rely on God, faith over fear, humility, integrity, honesty, community, building consensus using humor, openness, transparency, communication, kindness, staying positive, patient, discerning, having respectful debate. Big picture thinking, responsibility for our areas, be brave, be curious, listen, ask why, take on bigger challenges, dream and think big, be vulnerable, acknowledge each other, thank, praise, encourage. Who we are precedes what we do. If who we are precedes what we do, if our shared values lead the way, then we will be able to take on the task of the living of these days, the already and not yet tension. That's true for the leaders of our church, and I suspect it's true in your life as well. We're ordaining and installing some of our leaders today, and in the end of our service, they're going to come forward, and some of them will even kneel on these steps. And they'll all answer or reaffirm questions that are big questions about what they believe and, and the God that they serve. And we as a church, we will bless and affirm them. Jesus is the one who helps us to navigate all the needs, the stresses, and the demands of our time because he's the one who's already at work in us. So if you are here today, let me just speak to you who are here today visiting with us or newer or you who are, are not sure what it means to have a life in Christ or, or uh, what that looks like, I want to encourage you that this is a place for you to grow, to learn, and be encouraged. Week by week, you will hear a message from the scriptures that has something to say, hopefully, and something said in a way you can hear it, Charlie Chaplin. And if you're here today and you are more mature in your faith, you're further along in that faith journey with God, um, let me give you this word. At the end of this passage that we read in Luke chapter 4, the people are trying to keep Jesus for themselves. Did you notice that? They don't want him to go, fulfill his purpose, preach to the other cities, go to the other people. They want to keep him for themselves. They want him to stay in town, maybe just serve them. But Jesus reminds them that his purpose is far greater than that. 
He must go and proclaim the good news to the other cities, the other places, and other people too. So our church is a place where we can grow and where we can belong, but our desire to share good news, our desire to proclaim the kingdom, our desire to let people know about the goodness of a life of faith and what is there, it leads us into wider circles to embrace more people even beyond our comfort zone. I want to encourage you today that our life of faith is not just for Sunday mornings, not just for here on campus, and it's not just for us. We are called to move out into a waiting and watching world to show and share the good news of the kingdom of God, to show and share the, the love of God with those we meet. So let me just close this, this sermon with uh, us, um, words of Robert Frost from one of his poems, which you will probably uh, remember. This is what Robert Frost writes. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Jesus knew this and pressed on in his life and purpose, even in the midst of complexity. The question for us today is will we try and keep Jesus just for ourselves or will we join Jesus, follow Jesus in the days ahead to live in the essential tension of already and not yet, and to know that we also have promises to keep. We too have miles to go before we sleep, but we go following the one, Jesus Christ, who leads us. Amen. Amen.